Hello, my name is Regina Zona, and this is True Confessions of a Still Fabulous Diva. Here is my true confession. I am a failed YouTube star. When I was trying to restart my singing career, I decided to come up with some kind of idea to create my own performance opportunity. I figured since nobody else was giving me performance opportunities, I needed to come up with my own. So I've talked about this before in previous episodes, but I'll just give you a little recap. I decided that I wanted to do a project that was very different from what a typical classical singer does. I didn't want this project, this performance opportunity, to be like a themed recital where I just stood in front of a piano singing songs and arias and telling an occasional story. And I also didn't want to do a cabaret, which is less formal in a different kind of setting, but it's still me standing in front of a piano or sitting in front of a piano and singing songs and telling stories. I wanted this thing to be bigger than that. First of all, voice recitals and cabarets really don't sell well unless you're a really big name. And so if I was going to do this, if I wanted it to be something bigger, something that could convince more than just my family and friends to come to it, I wanted this to be something that would sort of live on beyond me. So I started brainstorming and I came up with this cool concept that followed my journey as a singer that started out with me singing the Queen of the Night and ended with me sort of finding my own authenticity as an artist and a woman. So I came up with this narrative that started with the queen. So the queen, the queen of the night, is sort of bigger than life. She's a little crazy, and she's definitely fearless. And the queen is really the true ultimate diva. So that brought me to sort of the next iteration of me, the diva, and all that that means. And the diva led me to the art of opera and singing and what really being a true artist was. And what the common denominator between all three of these things was, was me, Regina, so I had these characters, the queen, the diva, the artist, and Regina. And this was sort of the starting point for this project. But my big vision for the project was to create something bigger than a typical recital, bigger than a cabaret, bigger than me. And I could really, when I was thinking about this, I could envision myself traveling around the country performing these this show at opera houses and concert venues and regional theaters. I even had visions of this being off-Broadway. I could even envision this living beyond me where other actresses and singers would take this work and sort of make it their own. And in order to make it that big, I knew that I had to do something drastic to market it. 
and that I had to start marketing it before I actually had the finished product. I knew that what I really had to do was I had to create a following of some sort. And that's when I decided that I needed to use social media to create an empire. <laughs> so how do you create an empire on social media? Uh, I guess what the kids are doing is that they create a web series. And so that's what I decided to do. I decided to create a web series. I had no idea what the hell a web series was, but I figured, well, if that's what the kids are doing and they have millions and millions of followers, then maybe that's what I needed to do too. So my idea was to, sh to film these short little episodes, each one starring one of these characters that I mentioned, the queen, the diva, the artist. And it, these episodes would explore sort of the caricature-ish idiosyncrasies of each one of these personas. So the queen was this severe, emotionless monarch with no tolerance for the less fortunate, who always dressed in gowns and crowns, even when she would stop at Chipotle or Trader Joe's. And her vices were Hennessy and gangster rap. The diva was an over-the-top opera singer who on stage was overly generous and humble and off stage was crass and abusive to her unassuming assistant. She was born in a small hick town in Georgia, so when she got angry, her horrible southern accent would come out with a vengeance. The artist was a hippie, tree-hugging, yoga-loving vegetarian who could not resist donuts. She wanted everyone to love her and would speak in long, tangential, run-on sentences, rarely making any sense. I did full-length character studies on these ladies, and I even hired a professional makeup artist to come up with looks for each character. I had originally put out some feelers to playwrights that I knew to see if anybody would be interested in writing this web series for me, because I had absolutely no experience writing anything at all and certainly didn't know how to write a web series. But the initial hit, uh, the initial feelers that I put out there didn't get any hits. So I presented this idea um, but to a former student of mine who uh, ha had talked to me about being a writer. And I asked her if she wanted to write the scripts for the episodes. And so she thought that it was kind of funny, a funny idea and thought that maybe it would be something that would be fun to do. So she agreed to do it, which I was very grateful for. And then I gathered some of my hysterical friends who could give me ideas about how to present these characters. And eventually I had a small team of people that uh, were sort of helping me put this thing together. So scripts were being written, publicity photos were being taken, and then I actually had to determine how I was going to actually make the filming happen. I had asked some of my private students if they wanted to play parts in the videos, 
And I had a video camera uh, and my partner agreed to be the videographer. And so we decided to shoot on location in New York City in public spaces, in my house, a rehearsal studio, and even in my friend's apartment. So the first weekend that we decided to film, we actually filmed two months worth of episodes. And we wanted to do this so that we would sort of save our resources and that we could sort of gather everybody for a short period of time and then we wouldn't have to keep asking them to come back over and over and over again so we could get ahead with the filming uh, schedule. And I did all of the editing myself uh, and put this little web series together and we called it Regina Unfurled. My plan was to post an episode each week on one day of the week and then on every other day of the week I would do these social media blitzes to try to gain interest. And I won't lie. I really had big, big hopes for this thing. <laughs> I seriously could envision getting my first thousand followers. And, and then a couple of months later, it would be up to 5,000 followers. And then that would be followed by Ellen DeGeneres calling me on her show because she had seen the series and thought that it was so funny and that she would give me $10,000 from Shutterfly to help me promote my, my show. Seriously, I really thought that this was the bomb. Here's the problem, or shall I say problems. <laughs> First of all, I had absolutely no money to do this project. I couldn't pay my writer. She did this as a favor to me and because she thought that it would be fun to explore. I think that I offered her free voice lessons if she wanted them as a thank you, but basically... I had no money to give her. And so because I didn't have any money to give her, she really didn't have the time and the resources to commit to the project in any kind of professional capacity. I also couldn't pay actors. So I depended on the kindness of my students and I gave them Starbucks gift cards as a thank you. <laughs> so, of course, they weren't really as invested in the project as paid actors would be. I couldn't pay for a director. I couldn't pay for an editor. I couldn't pay for high-tech recording equipment. So having no money basically meant that I had to rely on my knowledge of how to do this stuff. And here's the deal. I had no knowledge. <laughs> so that's a problem. Secondly, along those lines of having no knowledge, I had no idea on how to create compelling videos. I didn't know the first thing about sound production, proper lighting, the best equipment, not to mention the fact that I didn't know anything about wide shots and close-up shots and mid shots. I didn't know anything about storyboarding or acting for the camera. I naively thought that 
All you had to do was just turn the camera on, shoot a scene once or twice, and it would be good to go. Then I found out that the camera that I was using was horrible. <laughs> I think that it was actually a HD, but like HD from maybe 15 years ago and not HD from what HD is today. And since I didn't have a director, I had nobody to guide me on any of this. So I just did what I would do if I were on stage. And basically that meant that uh, the first thing was that I was overacting the hell out of everything. So that was a problem. But I also discovered that as good as an actress I am in opera and in song, creating funny videos for a character, funny, funny characters for a video was a completely different thing. I became a caricature. I was way over the top. And granted, I mean, these characters were over the top. But in watching the videos, <laughs> I'll totally admit that I really looked like just really bad community theater. So that was a bit of a problem. Finally, even though I had people helping me out in this process, because nobody was getting paid, they were all volunteering because of their relationship to me, because they were kind. With few exceptions, no one was really invested in this project as much as I was. That seems to go without saying, but what I really wanted to do was... I really wanted to make this a collaborative project where many people were working together to create this funny and weird thing. That's what I really wanted. I wanted the collaboration. But in the end, most people just didn't buy into it. They didn't buy into the idea. I mean, it wasn't their idea. It was my idea. And certainly, you know, when it's your idea, you're the most invested. And so, because they didn't buy into it, you know, they weren't interested really in staying in for the long haul and being a part of it for the long haul. And I think that there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, because they weren't getting paid. And second of all, because when I pitched this idea to them, I didn't really have a clear enough vision of what the scope of the project was. I dreamt it up, and then less than two months later, we were filming the first six episodes. My writer and some of my advisors didn't really understand some of the characters, and I couldn't really find a way to define them more than I had. And again, because I had no experience doing such a thing, there was no way that I could really communicate clearly what that vision was. So in the end, I had these little episodes of mediocrity. Some were fairly amusing. I mean, some people did respond to them and said that they were funny and cute and that they enjoyed them. Others were just 
absolutely ridiculous. But they were not near, not anywhere near the level of professionalism that I have always demanded for myself. But I put them out there. So the question is, why? Why did I put them out there? Well, because I had committed to the project and I didn't realize that the learning curve was so steep and I had already put out the first set of episodes. So if I had committed to it, I better follow through. Because I had seen amateur videos before that had no production quality and they still went viral. So I thought, well, then these probably are maybe good enough to go viral. Because I thought that the ridiculousness would be enough to overcome the bad quality. Because I thought that maybe the people who knew me and liked me would look past the mediocrity and think it was funny anyway and share it. And this doesn't even cover the whole social media aspect of it. The time spent creating social media content to get people interested in what you have to share is absolutely enormous. Social media in this way as a promotional tool is a full-time job. And while I did use services that were supposed to save time and make social media posting more efficient, it was still a huge job to keep up with. Because what I learned was that it was not posting on my wall that got people interested in what I was doing. But instead, in order to actually get my stuff out there and get people to see it on a regular basis, what I had to do was I had to be interacting with other people's walls so that the algorithms of Facebook would see that I'm out there being social not just trying to promote myself. And therefore, then they would see my posts as being social. And then my stuff would be posted out to more people's news feeds. Oh, yeah, that took a long time to learn that algorithm. And honest to God, who the hell has time for this? I mean... <laughs> I, I still had jobs to do. And the idea of committing myself to 24-hour social media posting was absolutely exhausting. I found that I had to be on Facebook for hours a day. And even then, on average, I would only get a handful of responses to anything that I posted. So ultimately, I decided to end the project because I wasn't seeing the results that I expected, even though I knew it was going to take time. But honestly, when your videos are averaging only about 10 views, when you're trying to get a thousand followers, that's not going to get you on Ellen. And truth be told, eventually I really lost interest in the project, and I stopped believing in the project. 
Am I glad that I did it? Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it certainly gave me something to do when I had nothing else to focus on. But would I do it again? Mm, not likely. This is what I know for sure. Never settle for mediocrity. <laughs> this project was doomed from the start. <clears throat> I highly overestimated my knowledge of technology, my acting ability, and my dependency on the kindness of my friends. But I let that all go. Because I thought that my innate talent and intelligence would be enough to overcome those shortcomings. In the end, all I really did was make a fool of myself. <laughs> and it's out there for the whole world to see. <laughs> and yes, it's still out there if you really want to see it. There is a reason that TV shows and movies take years of development. All the details have to be fleshed out before you can even start to think about actually putting it on film. And while I love the planning and I love the details, I am someone who gets an idea and then wants to get it out there, put it together and get it out there as quickly as possible. I'm an instant gratification kind of girl <laughs> because it fits my calendar or because I didn't think far enough ahead and I have some unwritten deadline or because I just want to make it happen even if it isn't a complete project. And I saw that mediocrity from the beginning. When I saw the takes of the very first episode that we shot, I knew it was not good. I looked awkward. My scene partner looked awkward because he also didn't have a director to guide him. The video and the sound were really, really poor. It was not good. And then the next episode, the camera angles were, were problematic, where we couldn't actually see the main characters of the scene. <laughs> That's a problem in video. And then the next episode was out on the street, and all I could hear was the street noise, and I could barely hear any dialogue. And the next episode, I was supposed to be yelling in a thick southern accent, and as I have mentioned in earlier podcast episodes, I can't do a southern accent to save my life. But I had committed to it. I committed to the project. I watched the takes. And a voice inside my, inside my head said, wow, you know, these, these aren't very good. But I buried that voice deep as I could because I had committed. My actors and my team had already invested their time and asking them to reshoot seemed like an impossibility and a huge inconvenience. And besides, I wouldn't really know how to make them better in a reshoot anyway. 
I made up excuses why it would be okay to have these first videos just be less than professional. Not many people were going to see these first videos anyway. We were just getting started. The learning curve was bound to be smaller eventually, right? So I put them out there. And while some of my friends thought that some of them were funny, <laughs> the response overall was tepid, as the response should have been tepid, because they weren't very good. And I thought, well, you know, it takes time for these things to catch on. It'll get better. But even with the mediocrity of the first batch of videos, I did the second batch. And things improved a little bit. A better camera, a better understanding of timing and editing and storyboarding. But the results on the, on the whole were really not much better. And now listen, don't get me wrong. It sounds like I am completely embarrassed by what I did, and it was a horrible experience. And while I will absolutely admit I am a little embarrassed about it all, as I said, it's still all out there for the whole world to see. I haven't deleted the videos from YouTube, although maybe I should, come to think of it. <laughs> But what I am more disappointed about is the fact that this was nowhere near the standard of my work. I am extremely critical of my work as a performer. And as a matter of fact, sometimes that has gotten in the way of me truly surrendering to the moment in my performing because my standards for myself are so high. I know exactly the level of performance I am capable of. And when I am in control, I demand that level at every turn as a singer and operatic and classical performer. I also teach my students to never accept mediocrity in their preparation or their performance. I teach them the tools to be a fully developed performer and artist. I set the bar very, very high for my students, and those who can handle it exceed the bar. But this time, I let my standards down, and it was not representative of me and my work, and therefore, I was never going to achieve the goal that I had set out to achieve which was to develop a following, because why would anybody want to follow mediocrity? Okay, maybe some people in this world do like to follow mediocrity, <laughs> but this is not me judging. No, no, follow what you will. <laughs> so in the end, I created this thing that was far less than my best. So now here I sit and I am forced to face, what do I do with that? I accept it for what it was. It was a lesson. A lesson that nothing is worth doing if you aren't going to do it right. Nothing. If you don't have the total preparation, the knowledge, the money, 
the skill set, the equipment, the support. Find something else to do or some other venue to do it in where you can be your absolute best. That is what will connect you with others. And that is what will truly fulfill your creative spirit. So here's my inspiration for the week. This one comes from Robin Sharma, who is a Canadian writer and motivational speaker. He wrote a book series called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. And so this quote that I found uh, is a bit more universal than what I've spoken about today, but it is really, really a great thought that I thought that we could all meditate on. And it is. Push yourself to do more and to experience more. Harness your energy to start expanding your dreams. Yes, expand your dreams. Don't accept a life of mediocrity when you hold such infinite potential within the fortress of your mind. Dare to tap into your greatness. So, in other words, don't settle for mediocrity. Thanks so much for listening. I'm really grateful for you for being part of this journey with me. And join me next week where my next confession is, I am an excellent teacher and everyone should know it. And remember, the only response to the question, how are you, is fabulous. <laughs>